Aloha. I invite you to grab your word, your scriptures, your Bible, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 24. As you turn there, listen to this story. A city lawyer jumps on the public train after a long day of dealing with people at cases at the courthouse. The people on the tra- he jumps on the train and the train was calm. People were keeping to themselves on their iPhones, iPads, their digital devices. One of the particular stop, a family, a father and his three children walks onto the train, and all hell breaks loose. These kids are, are we saying Hawaiian? Kolohe, acting up, acting rotten, right? They're being so unnecessarily rude, right, that everyone's getting mad. And this lawyer had enough of it. And he confronted the father and said, sir, could you control your children? The father replied, ah, I guess they're acting a little bit crazy. Then he tells this lawyer with a sad face, I'm sorry, sir, but my wife, my children's mother, just passed away at the hospital an hour ago. The lawyer with a shift in his heart, begins to have a brokenness for this family. His paradigm shifted a little. It was no longer that he had a busy day, and for the cause of his busy day, he was retaliating against this issue that he had no clue of until the confrontation began with, Sir, could you quiet your children? And with the sadness and brokenness of this father's heart, he says, my wife is no longer with me. My mother, my children's mother is no longer with them. Could you imagine the lawyer's heart at this moment? He shifts from having a tiredness and an uncompassionate heart to now a heart that wants to reach out to this family. He realized the sadness of this family's loss, specifically this father who will no longer have the love of his life. Saints of God, I wonder if that's the church today. I wonder if that's the church of God today. In this particular season of COVID-19, that we would allow the stress, the fear, the panic of this world to bombard us with this pressure, this genuine pressure, right? And because of it, like the lawyer, we would mission drift and we, we would forget the mandate that God has called every believer to be a part of. What is that? Go make disciples in every nation. That is the mandate for every believer in Christ Jesus. No matter the circumstance. No matter what you are going through, the way they would see Jesus is how you handle your circumstances. Listen to me. Are we going through some trial times? Amen. But guess what? God is in control. Is it a struggle? Are we struggling as a church, as a body of Christ, as a kingdom? Yeah, of course. But God is still in control. And I want to speak into this a little bit more. I want to let you know that there's anything we hold 
on to tightly at Ohana Church is that we serve a faithful God. Today was rough for me. I told our Elokai that I did not want to preach today. Because sin entered my home this morning. Started with the youngest, to the oldest, then to the middle child. Sin has ravished our home. The expression, the act, the behavior of sin. And I was at a point, God, I don't want to do nothing today but just wallow in what I just heard. And if it wasn't for the call of God, the call that matters above everything else, I wouldn't be here this morning. So I knew by the Spirit of God that I had to confess to our Alakai what was going on, and they prayed over me. They encouraged me. They affirmed the calling of God in my life. And I want to let you know, as you look at someone on this stage week to week preaching the gospel, I want to let you know that I want to be transparent with you, that before I preach this message to anyone else, it's preached to my own heart first. Please don't be offended by the passion and the urgency of my heart. It's really the passion and urgency of what I comprehend in the scriptures, that God is so passionate and God is so urgent for you today. That as we respond continually to COVID-19 and situations that will come, right, we would identify as the lawyer that this life is bigger than our life. There's an impact with how we respond to situations. And maybe by the grace of God, we will see uh, couples who have lost a spouse come to know Christ, right? Families who have lost their mother and their fa- or their father come to know Jesus. Families who have seen their their, their loved ones broken and beat up and betrayed and whatever the case is, they would see hope and faith in the gospel we get to declare every single day on this planet. Let's talk about that today. As we wrap up our short two-week series on current events, last week we spoke on the doctrine of soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. We looked at what it means to be saved from a biblical view, rather a man-centered view. We address some key topics within this realm that really challenge us theologically. I know some of us are still questioning whether it's true or not. And that's okay. Our job is to be faithful with the scriptures. Today, we're going to wrap up our series with the doctrine of eschatology, or also known as the study of final things, or you may know recently, the end times. And as you are at Matthew 24... I don't believe Matthew 24, these small little verses talk about every exhaustation of what's going on in the understanding of the end times. This has been probably one of the hottest debates for Christianity, right, since the scriptures time. And so what I want us to do, I want to exegetically look at these few verses that talks about one specific topic of the end times. We won't get to every single topic of the end times, but I want you to find joy and comfort in the COVID-19, and as we wrap up this series of our biblical view of an overview of the end times. Would you stand with me in the reading of God's perfect word through Matthew 24? And when you are there, ho'omaukaukau, Starting in verse 3 to verse 14. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately 
saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you, what? Astray. For many will come in my, say that name, name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many, say that word, astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. He defines these birth pains moving forward in the text. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Watch these these two verses. Find comfort in these two last verses. But the one who endures to the end, help me out, will be saved. And the gospel, this gospel of the kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Say these final words with me, one, two, three. And then the end will come. God, we pray this morning for your word to be made evident in our hearts. God, we don't need man-made intellect. We need wisdom that comes from above. And so we ask you, we ask you faithfully and patiently for wisdom. We ask you to allow us to understand your heart. As you, you understand our hearts, that we are broken in need of you. Lord, we love you in the name the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we say it loud and proud. Amen. No hoy lalo, you may be seated. You may be seated. This specific text is called the Olivet Discourse. From most scholars' view. And I want us to look at what some scholars call the Olivet Discourse. Why do they call it the Olivet Discourse? There are two steps or two views on why they call it the Discourse right here on the Mount of Olives. Number one, there is the significance of the site. And number two, there's a significance of the subject. First, the site Jesus and his disciples were located on was a familiar location in all the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. It was called the Mount, the Mount of Olives because there were olive trees growing on it. All throughout the scriptures, we see this location be made known of. In fact, in 2 Samuel 15 verse 30, David, King David retreats from his son Absalom who stole the kingdom away from him. In 1 Kings 11, Solomon does his idol worship right here on this same mountain. In Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 23, Ezekiel sees a vision of God's glory leaving Jerusalem and resting on the mount east of Jerusalem, which is the Mount of Olives. All throughout the Gospels, 
we see Jesus and his disciples sitting down and having a theological conversation on this mountain. In fact, Zechariah, going back to the Old Testament, chapter 14, verse 2, says that, that he prophesied that Jesus' final earthly meeting would take place right on the Mount of Olives. And we know this when we turn to Acts chapter 1. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection, he spent 40 days on earth, right? And it is said in Acts chapter 1 that he had a conversation with his people about his return, talking about the kingdom of God. Second, in addition to the significance of the site, we see the significance of the subject. And the subject is found in our first verse, in verse 3, the disciples ask a specific question to the Savior of the world. In verse 3, he says, tell us, Jesus, when will these things be? What things? Keep reading on. And what will be the sign of your coming? What coming? Keep reading on. Right? They're talking about of the end of the age. There are two things we must understand in this scripture. All right? When addressing this question, when will the end come? When will you return? There's really two things we need to understand. It's up on the screen. Number one, the Bible never specifically tells us the exact day or time when Christ will return. There has been a lot of preachers and teachers who think that they've had the right time and date. Even scholars and ancient philosophers of the time. But every single one has been ultimately wrong. Why? Because Jesus never told us when he would return. He just says he would return. There was no time or date specifically given to us. How do we know? Look at the scriptures. The scriptures are sufficient. Acts 1, 7 says, He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own what? Authority. First Thessalonians 5, 1 to 2 says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. No specific time, no specific day. But he said it's going to come when you least expect it. Why? Because he uses the word thief to describe it. Matthew 24, 36 says this, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Right? What he's talking about? The return of Christ, the end of the age. Not even the angels of heaven. Let's go even deeper. Nor the what? Son, who's that? Say it out loud. Jesus. But only the who? The Father. It's very clear throughout Scripture. The Bible, Jesus himself, the 40 authors in the Scriptures all talk about Jesus, but they don't talk about the return of Christ in his second coming. So as we look at this, we have to look at a specific word in verse 3. That really help us identify end times, at least the introduction and overview of end times. And it's the word sign, right? What will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age, Jesus? This is what the disciples asked him. The word sign in the Greek is the word semien, semien, right? It's the English word a marker, right? For a lot of us, we know what markers is in this island, right? We know what marker is Four Miles Beach Park, right? <laughs> we know where Four Miles Beach Park is because that's my favorite spot. I just want to let you know. But we know where Four Miles Beach Park, right? And what we're going to look at today, right, we're going to look at markers from our verses that helps us to identify, right, not so much when, right, or how Jesus is going to come back, though it's important, but primarily 
when he does come back, because we all believe he will come back, right? Will you be ready? Will you be ready? And so here are four markers I want us to exegete from our text and let us wrap it up in a response time with song. Marker number one, we will see a rise of false teachers. Jesus responds of the biggest threat, not outside of the church, but within the church. False teachers. This is something most churches aren't talking about today. All right. And Jesus answered them in verse four. Listen to this. Right. See that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. Here are two warnings we see in this text. Number one, keep a lookout for false teachers. Don't get come to church and say, I'm going to trust Kau because I have a great relationship with him. No, look at me. See if I am a false teacher. Every pastor should say that. Every preacher should say that because if the word is true, theologically true, right, then you can define for yourself if the preacher is true or not based on the scriptures. Secondly, many will claim to be followers of Jesus and claim to be one of his leaders. But I want you to see what 2 Corinthians 11 says. For such men are false apostles. Here's what they look like. Ready? Deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of what? Light. Cults have started, based on this text, in this world from this. So, it is no surprise if his servants, Satan's servants, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. One of the heroes of my faith currently, contemporarily, is Tim Chalice. And Tim Chalice gives us seven right, views of a false prophet or a false teacher. I want to take my time during this course, and I want you guys to write this down or get your notes from the Bible app in this area. Because it is crucial that you understand and identify, because Jesus himself says, be aware, be on a lookout of these false teachers. Here's the first false teacher, the heretic. The heretic is the person who teaches what blatantly contradicts an essential teaching of the Christian faith. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2 on the screen. It says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destruction heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. These are normally known as the Judaizers. People who, who come into the church and try to, what we would say in Hawaii, lome, lome, right, you, right? Lome, lome, hone, hone, you, right? Lome, make you feel good about yourself, all this stuff. Then they will not have substance in their text. Number two, we see the charlatan. The charlatan is the person who uses Christianity as a means of personal enrichment. This is the prosperity preachers, the, most of the evang- televangelists on TV today. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produces envy, dissension, slander, evil, suspicious, and constant uh, friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. I want you to know false teachers are real. 
They're not on their way, saints. They're here. They've been in this church. They're probably in this church right now this morning. And you may say, I may not preach specifically like Kahu, but your life may demonstrate that you're a false teacher. You may say you belong to God, but you allow things that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ that are saying by your lifestyle, teaching people to sin because you allow it to happen. Number three, we see the prophet. The prophet claims to be gifted by God to speak fresh revelation outside of scripture. This is new authoritative words of prediction, teaching, rebuke, or encouragement. This is that one famous preacher that before COVID-19 really took off, said that COVID-19 will be done by this day, says the Lord, making millions and billions of dollars off of your money, off of all this. And guess what? Did COVID leave? No. By Old Testament rule, he should be stoned to death. But thank God that God's mercy and grace is on this nation and this world. First John says this, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone unto in the world. Number four, the abuser. The abuser uses his position of leadership to take advantage of other people. In, in, in Jude 4, he says this, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were uh, designed for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I hope you're not bored by these scriptures. A true believer would be so enamored by these scriptures. A believer who seeks after God would seek after the truths of the doctrines in the faith, specifically eschatology. As we move on, we see the divider. The divider uses false doctrine to disrupt or destroy a church. He gleefully divides brother from brother and sister from sister. Jude also addresses this. He says, they they said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. The Bible gives clear instruction, saints, of what a false teacher and a false believer is. Here's another one, the tickler. The tickler is the false teacher who cares nothing for what God wants and everything for what man wants. He is the man pleaser rather than the God pleaser. He makes everybody feel good in church. Don't you love that guy? He's not on this stage most of the time, I can tell you that. Second Timothy says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having what? Itchy ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Lastly, we see the speculator. The speculator tosses aside the bulk of the Bible's content. And the weight of the Bible's emphasis in order to obsess about matters that are trivial or novel. He grows weary of the old truths and pursues respectable, respectability through originality. Listen to me. This is most of the American church today. The showful church. The attractive church. The church that, you know, most of the times has every ministry known to man. Right? 
Right? The church that really forsakes the truth of the gospel won't talk about sin, right? Or will talk about good characteristics of your life. That God wants to bless you. That God wants to prosper you. All those things that we believe God wants, not, not just want to, guess what? God has. But he leaves out half of the gospel. What is that? That we're sinners deserving of the penalty of death. That message never gets old. We can never steer away from the doctrine of sin, saints of God. You are sinful. And in your sin, you deserve the penalty of death. Annihilation. Separation from a holy God. But God is good. God is rich in mercy. And Jesus came back. Guess why? Because we're sinful. Jesus didn't come back to just make us better. No. Jesus came back to make dead people alive in his name. That's why Jesus came back. And so many preachers are trying to look at the how. Like, how are we going to make people come back to church? That is not even the question. The question is, are you faithful with the preaching of the gospel? Are you faithful? Marker number two. The text says we'll see rumors of turmoil. Verse 6, verse 7 talks about these specific, ter- in verse, specific turmoils, right? In verse 7, we see world wars, neighbor wars, civil wars. I would say that in this world today, that's a reality today, amen? In verse 7b, we see the famines and earthquakes in various places. Isn't that a reality for us today? Especially in Hilo. Talk about tsunamis, right? You can go to Coconut Island, and one of the first coconuts there, you'll see all the years of how high the tsunamis were. This is a reality for us that the Bible talks about. Verse 8, here's some clarity. These markers are just the beginning. Here's the problem with self-proclaimed prophecy and prophets of the end times. They would always try to justify on the time and day that Jesus is coming back, right? Based on these events, these markers. But Jesus himself said, this is not the end. This is the beginning to an end. This is why a lot of people would argue that it will get worse before it gets better. And I would say even double on that it will get, it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. We don't need world peace, right? We need peace with God. Every one of us. Though this marker is to be aware of it, it's not one for us to fear and panic about. Can I get a witness out there, right? It's a reminder from Jesus on how we should continue to live and seek after him. When Jesus says, see that you are not alarmed. He says that in verse 6. What does this mean? Don't be surprised when all these markers or signs happen. It's only the beginning of the end. Marker number three, we see a ravaging tribulation. Now, this part is interesting, right? This is where all the eschatology geeks come out, y'all, all right? This is where all the amillennialists, premillennialists, pre-tribulation premillennialists, right, postmillennialists come out. If you don't understand a word I just say, say hallelujah. Praise the Lord, all right? That is not this message, all right? That's not what the text is identifying clearly in those areas. But what it is clearly 
telling us that there will be a time of due suffering, right? The word tribulation has split views. And the verses we are, we are covering here in the verse, specifically all throughout this verse 15, today gives, gives us more clarity on what this tribulation will look like past the verses that we're talking about today. So we're not going to address verse 15 because we believe the section that we have today is what we need to focus on, verse 3 to 14. Verse 15, though, gives a prophecy account from the book of Daniel in chapter 9 that gives us more information of the ending of the tribulation. We're not there yet. We need to understand the first part of the tribulation. The tribulation is going to be filled with much suffering. In verse 9, it says, they will, they will, they will the false teacher will deliver you up to tribulation. And they will put you to death. I want you to hear that. You're not going to die. All right? You're not going to die for your fate, right? Because you're nothing else but a what? Christian. A follower of Christ. They will put you to death. Everyone will hate you in verse 9. In verse 10, it would also say that this suffering, this tribulation, will take other forms of effect. Let's look at it. Number one, there will be persecution. Persecution will be a reality for all believers. The word deliver up in verse 9 means to take custody or to be arrested. Listen to me. I want you to hear this clear. You're going to realize when tribulation takes place because the entire military and armed forces will be against Christians because they will be the workers of Satan as we see in Revelation chapter 13. And they will kill you because you're a follower of Christ. Here, secondly... Persecution will identify false believers. Verse 11 says this is the second time we will see this group of false teachers. In verse 4 and 5 and also in verse 11 of people who will deceive, use tribulation, will use force, will use fear, right, to attack the believers who's true and who's not true. And we learned last week, salvation is not dependent on man's condition, right? Salvation is dependent on God's sovereign act over us. Therefore, we're going to see during this time who's truly following Christ and who's truly following the world, Satan. Let me be honest with you. That's all going on today. Look all over social media. You can tell whether on people's posts, who they value, who they love. And let's speak into the form of social justice, injustice. I come from a background of injustice, Hawaiian, Kanaka Maole. I come from that. But listen to me. My identity is not rooted in my Hawaiian-ness, y'all. Only one year. That's the problem in this church today. My identity is not rooted in my nationality or my ethnicity. My, my identity is rooted in Christ alone. If we're going to address social justice, right, let's address it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That everyone on the face of the planet have commonality. What is that? We're all dreadfully sinners. Every one of us. And the forms of our sin will be racial tension. The forms of our sin will be unequally yoked through feminism and men. Like, all of this is going to happen. Why? And if we focus so much on social justice just for itself, apart from the gospel, then you're worse. You're a false teacher. We must get back to the root of all these causes of politics. Trump cannot save you from the virus. Only Jesus can. 
Obama, Bush, Clinton, the future president. We thank God for the democracy we live in. Not all worlds have this kind of, de- nations have this democracy. If we talk the way we talk and we did social media the way we did social media in Iran, do you know what would happen to you and your family? You have abused your freedom. And therefore, you're forsaking the gospel, man. Turn, repent, right? Be in Christ. Last one of our marker number three. Persecution will gain false prophets. This tribulation, this is the second time we see this group, right? This tribulation will be so bad, listen to me, that people would not know the difference. It's going to hurt some of you, and I want to say this in love. People would not know the difference between John MacArthur and Kenneth Copeland. Let me say that again. People would not know the difference on what a true follower of Christ looks like when it comes to preaching. John MacArthur versus Kenneth Copeland. If you did not know, we've said it for many times, Kenneth Copeland is a heretic. I want to be very clear. I'm saying it over our pulpit, very clear. You can watch all the YouTube videos. He was the prophet I was telling you about that said he rebuked COVID-19 and God told him that it would end on April so-and-so. It did not end. To be a prophet, you have to be 100% correct. And that's only one person. Jesus. Christ. And then you would hear these words from this charismatic or this prosperity gospel of you don't mess with god's anointed have any of you guys heard that about talking about a pastor a preacher listen to me there is only one anointed guys his name said loud and proud jesus to say that some man is the anointed is to give him the title messiah a liar there's only one messiah say loud and proud jesus Now, the Jesus of Scripture, not the Jesus made up in our American Western mindset, the Jesus of Scripture, our last marker, and then we'll wrap it up. Marker number four, we see redemption and truth. I want to backtrack a little to verse 12. Verse 12 says that these people who turns against you, right, will have a coldness heart. What does the coldness of heart talks about in verse 12? They would hate you. They would hate you. Let me be honest to you. If you're living in sin and you know you're in sin, and the one that says they're a follower of Christ is not telling you about your sin and, and walking with you alongside to be redeemed from that sin, that person's a false teacher. That person hates you. That person does not love you. By God's grace and God's mercy, I love you. We've been in, I, I was looking at all of you out here. We've been in one-on-one conversations. I've been in one-on-one rooms with you. And we have lovingly called you out when you needed to be called out. We have also lovingly restored you and pushed you. Because why? Because we know at the end of the day, our own hearts need to be called out. We need Christ. We all need Jesus. I don't speak on here to use the Bible as a bat. I speak on here to use the Bible as medicine for your spirit today. Medicine. And something about medicine. You guys ready? 
It tastes yucky. Right? It sucks. It don't taste good. Oh, remember the trick that mommy and daddy used to do and say? Oh, bro, it tastes like bubble gum. That's sinful to lie to your child like that, parent. It don't taste like bubble gum. Gum? Oh, yeah, it tastes like gun. It tastes like gunpowder. It doesn't. Look, look at Matthew 24, 13, 14. When it talks about redemption and truth. Here's a marker we got to hold on to, saints of God. But the one who endures. But the one who endures to the end will be what? Oh, my goodness. Say it again. And listen to me. And this is the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, and then, when that moment happens, help me out, the end will come. I want you to, let's exegete this verse real quick. The phrase, but the one who endures will be saved. This verse is not a condition of man's ability to remain in the faith or not. Rather, the promises of God that those he saves, he will see through to the very end. First, I mean, Philippians 1, 6, right? We learned that last week. The result of this tribulation period will be the gospel will go to every nation in the world. Then the end will come. However, listen to me. It won't go to the end of the world through human, through human proclamation. Here's an eschatology fact that everybody disregards, okay? This is the way I used to view this text, all right, until recently. I used to think that God would not, God would not come back until the church went to every tribe, nation, and tongue. That's the way I viewed this gospel going to every nation. That God is waiting on man to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is not what the verse means. Why? Because if it's man's job to do it, guess who gets all the glory? Man. You see where we're going? Right? But the scriptures is not about man per se. It's about God. Let me show you through Revelations 14 how the end will come. How the gospel will go to every nation. This is an eschatology note you need to write down that is important. It says this. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth. To every nation and tribe and language and people. Oh my God. How will the gospel go to the ends of the earth? Is God calling us to make disciples in every nation? Absolutely right. But we still fall short of that as a church. Why? Because the church is not fulfilled until Christ comes back. Therefore, when Christ comes back, right, he'll send his angel around the world at one time proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is how they will respond. First Corinthians, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the what? Scriptures, and the Lord Jesus, listen to me, will return in all his glory, and we will hold on to this very 
promise. Look at Revelation 22. It says, he who testifies to these things says, surely, this is Jesus, surely I am coming soon. And the church of God says, amen, come Lord Jesus. Listen to me. Well, all you eschatology geeks out there are looking for signs and wonders of God's second coming. There's over 6,000 unreached people groups who have never heard of God's first coming. Meaning there is over 600 people like Hawaiians, Filipino, Chinese. Hawaiians were like these two, 200 years ago. They've never heard of the Messiah Jesus who came to Bethlehem, who was born on this earth, who lived the perfect life, who was crucified by his own people. And they made a mockery about him. And they put a plank on top of his cross. Says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. They mocked him. They spit at him. They rejected him. They did everything that we are doing today. And in God's sovereign grace, Jesus, in his obedience, went on the cross, died on our behalf. We are undeserving of his death. But because God is good, God is gracious, God is merciful, God is righteous, today we can embrace the message of Jesus. That he saves sinners from death to life to life everlasting. And we will see on that same day, in one glimpse moment, when the trumpets sound, everyone around the whole world will hear the proclamation of this angel in Revelation. That glory be to God that the gospel we declare is the gospel of Jesus Christ who has come to be the propitiation and the imputation in us for our sin. What a savior, guys. What a savior. Is understanding eschatology important? Absolutely. But remember this. As we know, there's one more unreached Polynesian group in the South Pacific who is considered harsh, who kills missionaries when they come on shore. And to this day, we've not heard any reports in that South Pacific Sea of that. You know, look, that's one of thousands. What is my hopes? Well, my hopes is that we wouldn't be comfortable here at Ohana Church, but God would raise the people within this church to leave their comfortability to advance the gospel to every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Then, then where do we go from here, man? How do we move forward from here? Here's how I want us to respond. Number one, first off, believe in the Lord Jesus. How do we believe? Simple. You heard the message of the gospel. Now your part is you respond to it by faith. We learned last week, faith is a gift. God gives us faith upon hearing the word. Declared faithfully, expositorily exegetically if you have that faith given to you by the Lord trust in God this is how we're going to trust in God number one let's prioritize the gospel let's prioritize the gospel let's make the gospel the greatest message of all in fact go home and I don't know grab a spray paint can and just Spray the gospel over your doors. Oh, I'll do something. Make your conversation be about the gospel. And here's the truth. There's other so-called Christian cults in this town that have the same word gospel. 
Listen to me. Give clarity on that gospel. Because their gospel doesn't have the same clarity as your gospel. Number two, let's prioritize the family. This gospel we have, let's work on our house first. Let's work on our marriages. Let's work on our children. Let's work on our church. Let's prioritize the gospel and the family. Thirdly, let's prioritize the mission. What is our mission? To love people to what? The beauty of Christ. How are we going to do this? This is our, what we call, right, our action steps here in the church. This is how we live out our mission. Number one, we're going to faithfully gather. Number two, we're going to faithfully grow. And because of these, number three, we're going to faithfully go. Because it's COVID season, we're still going to be a blessing in our communities. In the next couple weeks, we're going to describe to you what that looks like as a church body. We said specifically summer, we're just going to focus on the inside of the church. And we feel like we've discovered some things that we need to strengthen in the church before we reach out. And we're going to get there more. It's not perfect, but we've seen it. So as we respond today, let us respond with the clarification that God, the end is here. But God, what I want you to know, which you already know, but as a declaration of what you already know, I need you. This church needs you, God. Online, you need God. That will never change. So don't worry so much on the hour and day on his return. Know that he will return. And when he does return, hear me out. Will you be ready? Will you be ready? And when I say ready, I'm not just saying for your own heart. Are you faithful with the gospel? Did you prioritize it? Did you prioritize your family? And remember, this is not all conditions on man. This is based on the result of what Christ has done on us. What God has done, he will sustain to the very end.